You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. Years and years ago, back in my uh, college days, there was this film that was playing at Wheeler Hall there on the Berkeley campus that uh, a friend of mine just insisted that I go see. And he was one of these types who was patently brilliant, um, but you knew he had just probably smoked enough pot to kill a horse, yet he was still going, highly functional, uh, but just one of, the, one of these characters that I just... Uh, I just was in awe of his uh, recreation. I didn't know how he could possibly do that. But anyway, I asked him, I said, well, you know, what's the, what's, what's the film? And am I going to have to, like, get high or anything to go see it? And he said, no, 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 no. It'll do it on its own. And I'm like, okay, well, this ought to be interesting. He said, the name of it is Koyana Skatsi. And I only saw it that one time. But it left this amazing impression on me. For those of you who uh, haven't seen it, it's um, it's a Hopi word, if, I, if my memory serves. It's a Hopi word meaning life out of balance. And it just was these amazing images of the horror and the beauty of life, you know, cutting, uh, uh, interspersed with, you know, hyper-fast traffic that's moving and then the slow opening of a flower, you know, all these just amazing images. And I was struck by how rarely I ever lived my life in any kind of balance. And so it really helped open me to this situation or circumstance of unconsciousness typical life was one of rather deep unconsciousness, one of rushing to get to the next thing, whatever that next thing was, in the hope that that next thing, whatever it happened to be, um, maybe it was the next beer, maybe it was the next uh, girl, maybe it was the next concert, maybe it was the next semester, maybe it was the next summer, whatever, you know, in that collegiate space it was just the next thing everything done for the future graduating I recognized that that didn't change much that the habitual inertia of that style of living kind of continued and the opening that that film had kind of brought spawned a little bit of curiosity uh, for some type of spiritual practice that had just some type of resonance um, since uh, the typical paths didn't seem to really offer me uh, that much. Anything that I felt I could really, really kind of connect to, anything that could bring me balance, could bring me peace. So I have to credit my pot-smoking buddy um, and film critic buddy, 
to uh, with with a uh, significant opening uh, along this path for me because I think it's really what opened me to questioning speed and slowness and how they relate and how speed ultimately is just fine if it's informed by conscious slowness that's a real hard trick but that is a life that is in balance that is a life that is in ease actually disease dis-ease means out of balance and so this way of health internal and external health was about finding that spaciousness finding that balance And part of this is recognizing that the separation, as I spoke about last week, the separation that we tend to feel, we have all this sense apparatus that continually shows us that I'm in here and everything else is out there, yet we can recognize that that separation is actually what keeps us atomized, what keeps us apart. And balance from that place of apartness won't work. In other words, real, authentic, transformative spiritual work is about recognizing oneness. Recognizing, as I've said before, that alone, actually, if you break it apart, is all one. that all things are resonant manifestations of this deep singularity. And one of the ways we can kind of settle into that, not so that it's an idea, but that it's an actual experiential reality beyond name and form, beyond words, is to pay very close attention to everything it is that we're doing. So, there's a technique that I wanted to share with you tonight that instead of perpetuating an unconscious, separate, atomized, defended, perpetually defended, and perpetually attacked position, that there's, a, there's another way out. Of that there's a portal that we can all actually walk through as long as we consciously meet our life fully without hesitation without flinching without denying anything without hiding the truth without sweeping anything under the rug by just being right there for our experience and fully meeting it with total intimacy and total relaxation without trying to change anything just being right there ready to dance okay and we can do this whenever we sit still furthermore we can do this technique whenever we're driving we can do this technique as we are watching uh, our favorite football team win or lose 
<laughs> it was a great practice for me this weekend. I could not believe what an exciting batch of football. But I, I really believe that this is a very, very powerful way of uh, way of living. And it was it was taught um, it was taught to me by uh, uh, a monk in Thailand who comes from the Vipassana tradition. And he was really adamant about just paying total attention to your experience as it is. And then uh, uh, he called it uh, a notation with this incredibly thick accent. I could barely understand what he was saying, but it was quite beautiful the way he, he just kind of walked us through this, this process. Um, you, can call it, you can call it mental notation. You can call it uh, whatever you wish. Um, I've always seen it as uh, awareness becoming aware of itself, that there is a recognition, that there is a total intimacy with experience just by naming, okay? Not judging. Naming, okay? So the difference between naming and judging would be naming carpet, judging poorly chosen color for this carpet, okay? Naming foot, judgment. That's about the least attractive foot I've seen in a while. And boy, is it big. You know? Judging has extra baggage with it. Naming is factual, discriminating awareness. That's it. And so naming what is arising in your experience or noting what is arising in your experience or being aware of what is arising in your experience. If you can do that, no matter what your state, no matter what your state, no matter what your activity, all sorts of things begin to unravel. So to practice this, you can try right now as you're sitting, what is it that you actually are noticing that's coming up? All you do is give it a name. Discomfort. Itch, itch, itch. That was always a good one for me. I, for some reason, have the itchiest nose on the planet. And uh, the mosquitoes in Thailand did not help at all. And they, they all actually, I, I must have had something uh, written on me or some type of pheromone that just coming off of my skin that exuded the word buffet for all the, uh, the blood-sucking insects in uh, all of Thailand. That was quite remarkable. But just watching, you know, what's coming up? What's coming up? Tension. And this awareness, this conscious naming, allows us to create a separation between subject and object that is totally freeing. 
So once again, instead of being ensconced and trapped by the subject of discomfort, we can instead note the discomfort. And as we begin to note the discomfort, as we begin to recognize the discomfort, as we become aware, as we witness the discomfort, that in us which is aware of the discomfort is not uncomfortable. It can't be. That in us which is deeply aware of the sadness cannot be sad. It can be aware of it. We can actually even dive back into it if we feel like it. But we suddenly develop this totally alternate, expansive, new set of tools with which we can meet our life. It's as if we are taking um, all the armor that we've built and we've extended it. So that as I keep saying again and again, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that keep denting this armor can't actually hit that in us, us, can't actually hit that in us which is real. And that in us which is real is that in us which is awake. That in us which is no longer trapped by subject-object, but actually has a total freedom from all objects. So basically, the technique that Ajahn Po suggested, this guy in uh, Thailand, he said, uh, he's the same guy who told me repeatedly, you know, when you are meditating, you are either in memory or you are cooking. And I couldn't for the life of me figure out what he was saying. I'm cookie? I'm cookie, cookie, I'm a cookie. Yeah, maybe there's some cool Dharma meaning to cookie. And so I asked him, but he says, no, ha, 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 cooking, cooking. And what he was saying was that I'm busy planning. I'm starting to speed up, okay? I'm either hounded by past experience or I'm hounded by future experience, neither of which is present. The only thing that is here is what is now. And the best way to get into that spaciousness of now is by fearlessly addressing what is without running away and without trying to get more of it. Just address what is. The future will take care of itself. The past, if you are addressing what is with full attentive awareness, without grasping or averting, meeting it with total relaxation, the past has no handle on you because you aren't grabbing it. We're free in that moment. We're awake in that moment by just recognizing, huh, discomfort. Bliss. Bliss. Annoyance. I wish the neighbors had shit. Oh, annoyance. Right? As the minute we can meet our life like that, 
The minute we can meet our fellow drivers on the freeway, our fellow commuters on the trains and on the planes, the minute we can meet our life with that type of slowness, we find balance. Instead of koyanaskatsi, life out of balance, if we meet the deep singularity of that present moment, if we meet that present moment knowing that that's all there ever is, and we begin to orient our life around that, our life becomes infinite. And infinite, infinity, I should say, is always in balance. And when we can do that consciously, we live from a place that allows us to say at the top of our lungs, from the mountaintop, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Thank you, Martin. seeing your thoughts and it's so I mean it's it's very possible to do that but it seems like they kind of slip around where you know you could be the witness for a little bit and then before you know you're just kind of like you are your thought right so right how do, you, you, how do you what helps you not slip into being it yeah the um Slip, slippery, that's such a great way to put it because that's exactly what it is. The freedom from that slip is the recognition of the slip, right? So the beauty of this work and this practice is that this is something you can constantly do. The minute you notice that you've slipped, can you bring yourself right back to your breath and then notice the slip? Notice how it feels in your body. Are you feeling, are you, are you tight? You know? Um, I wasn't kidding when I was talking about the sports. It cracks me up. It cracks my wife up even more because um, uh, sometimes I'm pretty good about it, but other times amazing sounds will come out of my face as I'm watching the TV screen. And I'm continually trying <laughs> to, to be present with it to be present with the excitement, to be present with the, you know? So in that slipperiness, recognizing the slipperiness, the, oh, wow, that was amazing. And doing your best not to ever let it become, ah, damn it, I can't do it. Then you better be dang well sure if it ever goes into that spiral of judgment that we can recognize, ooh, judgment, slippery, you know? It's infinite. And the encouraging news is over time, it becomes more and more effortless. Um, even more encouraging is that the universe will give you exactly what you need in every moment to make sure that this practice is a challenge. We're not free 
once and for all. We are continually practicing freedom. In terms of meditating, does it ever get to the point where you can say, okay, now I'm sitting down and meditating for a half an hour, and basically for the whole half an hour, you are aware, you are... Sure. I mean, you, you, you don't start out saying, okay, stop chattering now, or not just stop chattering now, but you know, having to... I mean, me personally? Well, it, one, anybody. Do you get to the point where you could just sort of know that you're going to have a 30-minute meditation that is without all the... It does help for me to know that when my nose itches that all the Buddhas are with me. All the Buddhas are practicing with uh-huh. you. That's exactly right. Every other Buddha That's dealt with I nose itch. I can tell myself right. that in the past this has happened. <laughs> I am not unique. You are not, you are not unique. <laughs> Absolutely. You're not a precious snowflake. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'm not lying when I say the universe gives us everything we need to continually deepen our practice. I'm constantly amazed at what... Uh, um, meditation brings up, you know, it's so cool when it's like, oh God, I thought I was beyond that and whammo, here it comes again. Now, what, what's, uh, hopefully you'll take this as encouragement, but um, uh, it doesn't hold you as much the deeper you go. So the more, the more any of us practices, the less the traps and snares of day-to-day living create a life out of balance. The more stillness we consciously engage and meet, the more we are free at last, free at last. Think, but only for that moment. Okay? Mm -hmm. The next moment offers up an entirely new universe. Now it's going to happen. Um, yeah, more sure. about the technical part of meditation. Sure. Um, because I've never done this before. Mm-hmm. So I was curious about it. Um, do you have to burn incense? No. Okay. And do you have to sit down because it's called sitting? Uh, no. But you have to be still. Uh-huh. So and even then. Down. Yeah, the only reason why I suggest, uh, I really think sitting works best because the, the laying down um, uh, energetically, and biologically, you tend to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can maintain a very, very steady, even-keeled, balanced mm-hmm. awareness uh, in uh, lying, you know, lying down, that's fine. I, the only time that that's ever worked for me personally and for others that I've had this conversation with is usually after you know yoga class when you are so just you have you have reawakened every single cell in your body and then lying down is just fine Mm -hmm. because the body is pulsating it's shimmering you know um unless we're in that state i find that sitting is most helpful most helpful so and but i am also you know i go against the grain here uh i don't think that sitting like i do is important I don't think you have to sit in, you know, a perfectly straight uh, posture 
not that mine is perfectly straight because I'm starting to bend now as I age, but still that, you know, the, in a, a lotus or half lotus uh, on, on a cushion, I happen to think it's helpful. It's the way I'm most comfortable. It's the way I was trained. I think it works, but I know for a fact that it works sitting just in a, in a folding chair as well. And breathing? Breathing. Okay, tell me a little bit about the breathing. Best thing is to just let your breath do what it does so beautifully naturally. Okay. And you just allow it without trying to control it. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the things that can really help focus your mind is to count it. And at each exhalation, you give it a, give it a number. So inhale, exhale, that's one. Mm-hmm. Inhale, exhale, that's two and so forth, to 10, and then you start all over again. If you lose track, start over at 1. If you get caught by a thought, you know, start over at 1. And until you do that, and what happens is you'll find that all the thoughts, that the uh, mental brachiation that I was talking about, swinging through the jungle of your mind becomes something that you, you consciously recognize ain't happening, that there is this rather beatific stillness that's just kind of suddenly shows up rest there and then when a thought comes up you can give it give it a a name so not a judgment but a name is the idea to take that feeling away and put it out here and look at it is that what you're supposed to do during meditation or are you supposed to do nothing have n- void well void ar- shows up no. void shows up in other words it's it's as if um, in, this, in this meditative practice that you do, you are tilling the soil and suddenly the flower of void shows up and it's like, wow. Um, another way of putting it, um, uh, Richard Baker uh, from back in the days when he was with San Francisco Zen Center used to say that uh, uh, awakening or that void, recognizing that void that you're speaking of is an accident and meditation makes you accident prone. So you really are trying to eliminate your thoughts. You're trying to eliminate your thoughts. You're actually not trying to do anything. The thoughts will actually stop on their own if you just are patient enough. Isn't that wild? Yeah, I don't quite understand. I don't, I, I don't get it yet. I, yeah, but see, the thing is, <laughs> but see, it's not about the getting. What, what, you, what you're doing is you're sitting and allowing. Mm-hmm. And in this allowance where you just watch your breath. You make a conscious look. I will make an appointment to deal with all the crap of life 25 minutes from now. But until then, I'm just going to relax totally and watch my thoughts. There's a a very natural question, Roxanne, that comes up from that. Mm -hmm. And that is, what is watching? You want to know what that is? Mm -hmm. The void. And that's you. And it takes 30 minutes. You can't do it less. You can't do it less. But it should be 30 minutes. I will will say this. It it happens. That recognition will always only ever happen in the now. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now, the way to create that now consciously is to take whatever time it is that you need. I would start off slow. Go 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Do that for a few days. Mm -hmm. Then maybe go to 20. And it's going to start to hurt in some capacity. It may not hurt physically, but it's like, you know. That's just, how I felt tonight. Right, right. Well, you did, you did really well, actually. I actually felt, I lasted, I don't know how long I lasted, but then I started to get yeah, antsy. It's a, that antsiness is totally natural, and I'll, what that is is ego saying, no way. 
I'm the driver of this truck, okay? And this stillness is actually going to get in my way of being able to do that all the time, which is exactly the point. The point is to actually give ego a break, okay? So that what drives the bus, what drives the truck is something bigger, something wiser, something more compassionate, something much more effective in this world because it's open continually. It's loving continually. So this is, it's, it's forever deepening. And in real technical terms, and I'm so happy you asked the question, all we're trying to do is create a rather disciplined approach to balance, mm -hmm. to slowness, to stillness. And it's so hard. And it's so easy. <laughs> you know? Tell someone, what are you doing? Um, I'm sitting still. I know. <laughs> it's the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> you know? And then just one final question. Sure. Are there any books that you could recommend? Mm -hmm. for on, on the subject or to yeah, help, actually, to help, help you on this journey? Yeah, on the uh, website, I've got a thing called links, okay. and on it is a thing called recommended readings. And I, what I do with the readings is I start them off easiest, and then I, they get progressively harder until we get like down into the sutras and the koans and stuff that's really kind of just way out there. Um, I think that starting off, it's really cool to do something like uh, literally, Jonathan Livingston Seagull or one of those things that kind of sparks something that's so universal in each of us, the curiosity of it all. And then from there, taking it into, if you feel like getting into something more technical, I really like um, uh, Stephen Bodian, for instance, uh, Buddhism for Dummies. or Is it Meditation for Dummies, Mark? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Meditation for Dummies. Just, just real, just simple, simple, basic, kind of a survey course. And then... I, I'm really biased here, but I think Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now is the most simple representation of what all of these wisdom technologies have been yammering on about in their very, you know, very different ways. He synthesizes it, I think, into a very, very simple, very elegant approach to making sure that you're always reminding yourself that I am here now. That's all I got. What was the title of that? The Power of Now. Power of now. Yeah. Okay, thank you. You got it. Thanks for coming, guys. Appreciate it.